today's live on web program, The ELD Landscape Ahead, is brought to you by PeopleNet and Protective Insurance. Hello and welcome to today's live on web program, The ELD Landscape Ahead. I'm Seth Clevenger, Managing Editor of Features at Transport Topics. The start date for the federal government's mandate of electronic logging devices, now less than four months away, will soon change the business landscape in trucking and will likely create ripple effects across the supply chain. Under this regulation, most interstate motor carriers have until December 18th to make the transition from paper logbooks to electronic driver logs. Industry executives and analysts generally expect ELDs to improve compliance with driver hours of service limits across the trucking industry and put carriers on a more level playing field. At the same time, many expect the ELD rollout to reduce freight hauling capacity as enforcement tightens. But there's also an opportunity for carriers to use this technology to improve efficiency. During this episode of Live on the Web, we'll examine all of these facets of the mandate to help ensure that your company is prepared for the ELD era. Today's program is sponsored by PeopleNet and Protective Insurance. Joining us here in the studio to help answer your questions about ELDs is Joe DeLorenzo, Director of FMCSA's Office of Enforcement and Compliance. For those of you who don't already know him, Joe has really been a leading voice on ELDs, and he's been speaking about the mandate at numerous industry events and answering a ton of questions, including some of my own, so we're really pleased to have him with us today. Later on, we'll hear from Russ Elliott, Senior Vice President of Operations at Melton Truck Lines, a flatbed carrier based in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I recently spoke with Russ about his company's experiences with electronic logs, its plans to transition from AOBRDs to ELDs, and his expectations on how ELDs will affect the industry in the months ahead and beyond. We'll also hear from Tom Paduk, Director of Logistics Design at Transervice, a provider of full-service truck leasing, as well as a dedicated carrier and logistics provider. Tom will explain how his company is using onboard technology and share his advice to first-time adopters of electronic logs. And as we get into this discussion, we also invite you to participate in today's program. You can email your questions or comments to share at ttnews.com, or if you're watching on the web, you can comment directly on this page. And if you're watching via Facebook Live, simply enter your question in the comment box. To begin, let's address one of the most common questions I hear about the ELD mandate, how it will be enforced. So, Joe, if you could uh, help us out, maybe just start off by giving us an overview of how the mandate will be enforced come uh, December 18th. Sure, Seth. And before I start, just thanks. I appreciate you guys having me and have the opportunity of to, course. Uh, to help you guys answer some of the questions that you, that you have. I think before we talk about enforcement, it's important to remember exactly what happens on December 18th. On December 18th, the main change in the industry is going to be the elimin elimination of paper logbooks. So at that time, we're going to see a mix of different technologies. We're going to see carriers that are going to be compliant with the ELD mandate, but we're also going to see carriers that are going to be continuing to use their grandfather devices that meet today's specs, which we'll call AOBRDs here today. Sure. So that's going to be the landscape when we get there on, on December 18th. So from an enforcement perspective, I think the second point I always like to make is, and, and you made this in your introductory remarks, that this is about hours of service compliance. So we're working with our state partners and um, with our federal staff across the country to make sure that everybody is ready uh, to enforce hours of service come that date. My expectation when we com come December 18th is that everybody that's required to have either one of those two types of compliant devices has one at that time and that regulation will be enforced. So if a carrier that is required to have 
uh, ELD or a grandfathered device at that point in time um, is stopped after that date, they can expect that they would be cited by that officer on the roadside and they could possibly be subject to either um, to penalties towards the driver or um, from the carrier. The second question that always comes up is, you know, my truck is there and it doesn't have an, an ELD and I get a ticket or whatever the case may be, what happens now? Mm -hmm. So we are currently uh, having some discussions with our state partners and with the Commercial Vehicle Safety Alliance as to how we would handle uh, enforcing the out-of-service violation, meaning the truck would be parked until such time as that violation was corrected after that date. With this rule, like others, we understand that there is going to be some adjustment period uh, with carriers and drivers learning how to use their devices, as well as um, with folks, you know, making sure that they're fully in compliance. So we are having some discussions with CVSA and considering that perhaps we may, um, we may have a softer uh, rollout of the out-of-service violation, but the number one point that I want to make with everyone and, until we, and even after we make this decision is that the rule is going to be enforced from the very beginning. Our expectation is that everyone is compliant and we're going to work towards that over the next few months to do everything we can. Okay. So, of course, this rule was finalized back in late 2015, so this hasn't been a secret um, and, and there won't be uh, a grace period after December 18th. That's correct. Okay. Uh, but as far as uh, out-of-service violations, uh, there are some factors, and, and you guys are looking at that with enforcement on, on the best way to handle that, uh, at least in the early days. Is that fair to That's say? That's fair, absolutely. Okay. And, um, you know, before we go uh, further, um, I think it's, uh, you know, a good idea to talk about uh, the status of the rule itself. You know, there have been uh, court challenges, and, and the rule has, has withstood those. Um, you know, the Supreme Court uh, declined to hear uh, a challenge to the rule. Uh, so, so the court cases uh, have, have been settled. Uh, there has been some uh, legislative action. Uh, Representative uh, Babin of Texas has uh, introduced uh, legislation uh, that would delay the mandate, uh, implementation of the mandate by two years. Um, you know, our take on it is it, while it has some support, uh, it doesn't have the support needed to, to move through from congressional leaders. Uh, what's your take on that, uh, and, and do you see this having an effect on the uh, December 18th implementation date? Well, I think kind of back to our earlier discussion, uh, and the first you know, question we had was, I would urge people not to procrastinate in, in anticipation of something that may or may not happen. The agency's perspective at this time is that the rule is going to go into effect as planned as December 18th, and we're just going to do everything we can working with the industry and with everyone to make sure that they're prepared. Okay. And then, you know, kind of talking a little bit more about uh, how the rule will be enforced, uh, we, we talked about the roadside scenario. Uh, at what point would, uh, I guess, violations, fines for not having a, an ELD lead to a, a, an audit by DOT? Sure. I mean, it's a great question. It's one I get asked a fair amount. And I think the important thing to keep in mind with this ELD rule is it really doesn't change any of our other processes. One thing that we hope it does is reduce the amount of hours of service violations that the carriers have. But our investigative process, a lot of the folks probably watching are familiar, we have a prioritization system uh, called the safety measurement system. Um, and part of that system um, looks at a carrier's hours of service violations and these ELD violations would fall into that category. So if it came to our attention through looking at the 
at, at carrier's data that there seemed to be a problem, then that carrier could be flagged for some type of intervention, being it a simple warning letter or something up to or including an investigation. Okay. And we did get a good question here from Mike Kelly of YRC Worldwide, and uh, he's asking what compliance will look like uh, for the first few months. And beyond that, uh, he, he points out that there are you know, at least 50 different enforcement authorities, you know, 50 different states. Uh, will there be a, a patchwork of different approaches to ELD enforcement, or will there be a, a uniform, coordinated approach? Sure. I, it's a great question. Um, and again, not necessarily unique to ELDs, but in this case, with a major new rollout, uh, we work really closely with the states uh, through our division offices, as well as with the Commercial Vehicle Safety Alliance, the organization that uh, its primary purpose is to establish uniformity and enforcement of these rules across the states. So on a rule like this one, uh, we really anticipate that we're going to have uh, good uniform enforcement. We've been working with the states. As you mentioned earlier, the rule's been out for 18 months. We've been working with everyone uh, on enforcement and policy and training from the very beginning. So we're going to continue that process and, and try and make the rollout as smooth um, as possible for everyone. But as we mentioned earlier, with any major rollout, we always uh, do need to be sensitive to the fact that there's going to be uh, some level of confusion on the part of drivers and their vehicles and companies and, and working with enforcement to, um, to keep those things to a minimum and make enforcement as uniform as we can. Okay. And you know, maybe on the other side of that coin with enforcement, uh, do you think that uh, the enforcement side is ready, you know, given you know, the complexity of the, the, the many things that uh, a roadside uh, uh, inspection might yield, you know, that, that an officer might see, you know, in, in, a truck, uh, in the cab of a truck, whether it be an AOBRD or one of many different types of ELD systems? Uh, do, you, do you think that the enforcement side is, is going to be ready come December? Uh, yeah, I, I do think that they'll be ready. I think that... Um you know, there, as we talked about earlier, and you mentioned now, that there's going to be, you know, several different devices. But one of the things that I hope and I expect happens, actually, in December, is that to some degree the complexity on the roadside is going to be reduced. Because right now, in today's world, the roadside officer could run across a paper log, some sort of electronic software app that's recording right. hours of service, or an AOBRD or, or ELD sure. today. Um, come December, I think that complexity goes down significantly. Uh, we get down to just the um, AOBRDs and ELDs, the electronic devices. I think come December 2019, when we're fully ELD, it gets even easier. Um, but our, we have a strong plan, and we work closely with the states on training. Where we're going to do some training coming up this fall um, again after the training that, we, um, that we've already done and then continue that through the spring, as uh, you mentioned in the question that came in earlier from YRC. This going through the, the um, beginning of next year and into the spring, the transition's still gonna be going on. So we're gonna continue to work um, on our training and, and keep everybody going forward at that point. Okay, and we got another question from uh, Rick Sumser at General Transport, Inc. And you know, he points out that there are gonna be many small carriers that he thinks will be uh, late to install equipment. And uh, the drivers, of course, will need how to learn how to operate them properly. Uh, he asks, you know, will this be an out-of-service violation during a roadside inspection? We touched on that a little bit already, but it would uh, be, be good to recap. And um, you know, how will the DOT follow up to make sure an ELD is properly installed and the drivers trained on how to use it? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's a good opportunity to talk. The question here, you know, really gets to the issue of how important training the drivers is. 
So I think folks that are in the process of making that switch over now really should be aware that it is going to be a change in philosophy mm -hmm. and a change in operation, and they want to be able um, to explain that um, at the roadside. As you said, I think we talked about uh, enforcement a little bit earlier, but sure, we understand that it's going to take the industry some time uh, to adjust to this completely a new way, for some people anyway, for some of the carriers, completely new way of recording their hours of service. So, you know, we're going to do what we can to, to work with folks as we move into the implementation timeframes. Okay. And, you know, kind of going back to the, you know, complexity of this, uh, you know, the potential uh, complexity with uh, different devices, you know, last I checked there were more than uh, 90 vendor certified devices on FMCSA's registry, so there's a lot of different uh, systems out there. Um, and to your point earlier, fleets will still be running grandfathered AOBRDs, the systems that are out on the road now, for the most part. Uh, now, what can carriers do to make that process go smoothly at roadside? You know, is there something that fleets can tell their drivers, that drivers can do themselves to make sure that they're prepared uh, for enforcement? Sure, I think there's a lot that they can do. And, you know, one of the nice things, particularly about when you get into the ELD specifications and, and those particular devices is as many different devices as are out there, they're all standardized. They're operating under the same specification. Sure. They have kind of standard output. But um, back a little bit to our earlier conversation, I really uh, urge the carriers to make sure that they are taking the time to train not only their drivers, but also whatever support personnel they have involved in the process. I, I always um, like to point this out that um, the, the roadside inspection process is a difficult process for both the driver and the officer that's inspecting them. It's, it's you know, trying to deal with all of the issues and get hours of service information at the roadside. The better informed that a driver is, uh, the better that, that process will go. The rule actually requires that the driver have a copy of the manual for the device in their okay. vehicle, as well as in instructions about how to enact data transfer, which I think we'll probably talk about a little bit more. Uh, the more familiar the drivers are with that process, the better it will go. And in the beginning, I think because uh, we probably won't see as many devices or the interactions won't be as often until we see you know, full implementation, remembering for the drivers that they may need to be reminded of that process now and again sure. and as part of your regular driver training programs to keep that at the forefront of their mind. So when they get stopped uh, either by a federal or a state official, they can say, this is the type of device I have, here's how it works, I've got my instruction sheet. Can't emphasize training uh, on the carrier's part more than uh, I don't think you can emphasize it anymore. It's just, it's really going to sure. be the core of this for the carrier side. Yeah, and if you try to do that, you know, a day before the mandate, you know, could be a challenge, right? I mean, that, that seems like something that should be done well in advance. The sooner you get started on it, I think the better. Just like any, it's really no different than any other change that a company is making to their policies and their procedures. Sure. And uh, we, you did mention data transfer, so we'll hit that next. Uh, now, compliant ELDs will need some type of um, uh, electronic data transfer method. And that could be web services, it could be uh, USB 2.0 or Bluetooth. And then there's some backup methods, uh, you know, either handing a display out to the, you know, out of the window uh, to the uh, officer or uh, even a printout. Um, but it sounds like uh, FMCSA is targeting web service as, you know, kind of the premier, uh, most predominant way of, of transferring this information. 
uh, what's the status of, um, of that web services transfer system? Uh, and, and do you expect to have that ready by the time uh, the rule goes into effect in December? Sure, yeah, we absolutely do. And I, I think you're right. Um, it really seems to be that the industry preference, the vendor community seems to be leaning towards the telematics options, either web services or the email transfer of that file. I think it fits more naturally with the way the carriers are doing business these days anyway. Um, but yeah, so we're, we've been working hard on uh, establishing how that process is going to work and developing the software. We're, we're planning on having an initial run of that um, process this fall, September or October, so we have time to do some real good, we talked about training of the enforcement folks, be able right. to do that in the October and November timeframe leading up to December and then continuing to follow up on it as we move through into next year. Okay. And then another question on uh, the different uh, ELDs. You know, the, you know, these devices are uh, self-certified by the vendors, the companies that are supplying the devices. Uh, so there's a chance that at some point some could be challenged as non-compliant, some could be found to be non-compliant. Can you take us through uh, FMCSA's process for you know, reviewing and potentially, you know, uh, I guess revoking a certification or bringing a device up to speed if there's a problem. Sure, yes, it's not like this is the first time I've gotten that question. Right. Um, but uh, so what we're, a couple of things I think happening is, you know, everybody's a little bit concerned, brings up this issue that the um, devices are self-certified so they don't know exactly what's going to happen. There's a few things that happen there uh, that I think that everybody needs to be aware of that I think can help. One is we do an initial screen of their application, make sure that they provide uh, all the information that's required and, and as the rule says like any other type of technology or device um, we rely on the manufacturer to certify that but I believe that um, you know if we run across one of those situations uh, most of what we're seeing right now that could be potential problems are going to be maybe issues with software that can be corrected fairly easily um, through an over-the-air um, fix um, but in the event that we found something that was more widespread, uh, we would certainly be working with not only the vendor, but any carrier so that we could figure out what needed to be done in order to have the fixes taken care of and keep and not interrupt the carrier's operations. Keeping in mind what we talked about at the very beginning, which is this is about hours of service compliance. So if the device is accurately recording that, um, you know, we'll work with folks, but we anticipate that if we do find issues, they should be fairly easily corrected. I'd also just like to take a second to mention, too, that we, we put a tool on our website um, that was initially designed for the vendors in order to test their output files so they can right. put their files in, submit them to us. They get run through the technology process to make sure that they're compliant, and I think that that, as well as any other questions that carriers have about how the vendor established compliance, should be discussed in that process of choosing a vendor. Mm -hmm. So these are the kind of questions. We have a checklist on our website that says, carriers, these are the things you should be asking your vendor. Have you checked your output file is another good one kind of to add to that. And what have you done to certify compliance? So, you know, along with training of the drivers, once you've selected your vice before that is, what are the conversations you're having with the vendor to make sure that they have done what they need to do so we don't even have to really get to the issue that you brought right. up in your question. Okay, great. And uh, just as a reminder to our viewers, you're watching Live on Web's look at the ELD landscape ahead. 
and we invite your participation in the show. You can email your questions or comments to share at ttnews.com or comment directly on this webpage. And if you're watching via Facebook Live, simply enter your question in the comment box. So uh, as we alluded to earlier, uh, the ELD rule does include a two-year grandfather clause for the systems, electronic log logging systems out there that we're referring to as AOBRDs, which stands for Automatic Onboard Recording Devices. Uh, gets a little technical there, but uh, essentially if you've been running e-logs for a number of years uh, and you already are using a system, you're probably using an ARBRD. Uh, and if you fall into that category, you have until December of 2019, uh, two extra years to comply with the full specifications of the ELD rule. Um, based on what we hear, some fleets are making that transition quickly. Uh, some are choosing to let the dust settle for a while and uh, take advantage of that grandfather clause. Uh, and uh, w one factor that, you know, uh, often is a determining factor for that decision is whether or not you expect your fleet size to grow uh, in the coming two years. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Joe, but it's my understanding that you can move your existing AOBRD devices into a new truck if it's a replacement truck. But once you start expanding the size of your, your fleet through additions, uh, at that point you will need ELDs post-December uh, of, of this year. That's absolutely correct. The way it's always hard with the grandfather provision, you have to kind of draw the line somewhere. And the way that the rule reads is that if the device was installed and in use prior to December of this year, then you can continue to use that device. So you're exactly correct. If you are retiring that truck and you want to take that device out and put it in a new one, that's mm -hmm. okay. But if you're adding capacity, any new devices that are purchased would have to be ELD compliant. Okay. And I recently spoke to uh, Russ Elliott, who's the Senior Vice President of Operation at Melton Truck Lines, about his company's use of e-logs and uh, their plans for moving from AOBRD to ELD. So let's go ahead and play that clip. So, uh, Russ, thank you for joining us. We appreciate your time. Uh, first off, can you tell me a little bit about Melton's experiences with uh, electronic driver logs? You know, how long have you been on e-logs? How has it affected uh, hours of service compliance and uh, back office planning and, and productivity? Well, hello, Seth, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here uh, today. Melton has been on the platform about 10 years. Uh, we made the jump early on. Uh, we knew at some point that it was coming. We didn't know exactly when, but we took the plunge, like I say, about 10 years ago. And it has been a pleasant experience for us. Uh, there's really been nothing unpleasant about it. And I will say, just quite simply and to the point, from an operations standpoint, it has made life much easier. Uh, having visibility of all the driver available hours uh, it certainly made planning very easy. So our back office has been fine. Obviously, there are learning curves. We'll go through some of that here in a little bit, but uh, it's been fine for us. It hasn't been a, a real problem. Okay. And uh, really quickly, uh, what would be some of your advice to the folks in the industry who are going through this for the first time or will be in the coming months? And you guys have had some experience, but what would be your advice to the, the first-time adopters of, of e-logs out there? Well, for the first time folks, I, I think it's important to just take a step back and make sure that your house is completely in order. Uh, you have to be a compliant carrier, whether you're on paper logs or you're on electronic platform, it doesn't matter. Uh, but you've got to make sure that your 
you're compliant, your house is in order, and that everything is going fine on your end. If all of those things are going well for you, then you're not going to have near the problems. You hear a lot of carriers talking about a massive loss in productivity when they change over, but that's probably because they're not running correctly and they're allowing some things to go on in the paper environment that won't go on in the electronic environment. So uh, we actually, when we converted 10 years ago, uh, we actually had a slight increase in our overall productivity, which you didn't hear a lot of. It was about 1%. So it was almost nothing across the board from the standpoint. There certainly wasn't a huge decrease of any kind. Okay. And uh, how about your drivers? Did, you know, back, you know, going back 10 years or so, uh, how did they take to e-logs when you made that transition? Well, of course, with any change. I mean, I even remember back 20 years ago when we went to the, the, the uh, a satellite platform. You know, there's always the conspiracy, conspiracy theories and the pushback and everything, but it wasn't tremendous. Uh, it's how you sell the program to your fleet. And if you sell it properly and, and you let them know that you're doing it with their best interest uh, in mind, then it goes over much better. Don't, don't treat anything like a jam down. Uh, and then for the folks in the industry who have been using e-logs for a number of years, uh, yourselves including, uh, included in that, uh, you know, the ELD rule does include a grandfather clause for uh, existing devices generally categorized as AOBRDs, automatic onboard recording devices. Correct. Uh, so there's a two extra years to uh, comply with uh, the technical specifica uh, specifications in the ELD rule. So there are, you know, the question about, um, you know, how fleets are going to make that transition from AOBRD to ELD, um, you know, some I hear are planning to make that switch pretty soon. Others plan to wait, you know, most, if not all, of the two years and kind of let the dust settle. Uh, what's your perspective at Melton? What are your plans uh, for moving from the AOBRD to, to the full ELD spec? Well, Seth, early on, when we first started looking at it early this year, we thought we would probably be one of the carriers. We would just take the plunge right away and go straight into the ELD mandate. But since we've taken a little bit more of a look at it, and there are certainly no negatives involved other than just getting used to a couple of the different rule changes, I think we're going to probably grandfather. And I don't know if we're going to grandfather for the complete time. Uh, we do have plans to grow our fleet over the next two years. And doing so, then any new trucks that are added, net gains that come on, will go on to the ELD platform. And we've talked about that internally, whether it's viable to have trucks on different two different platforms. We don't think it's going to be any problem if we do. And, and our feeling is it will give us a little bit more time to really ease into it and study the changes a little bit instead of just going all in. Okay. Uh, and then you, know, you, you alluded to uh, just kind of like the slightly different rule sets. Uh, what are the aspects of the ELD rule and ELDs that are a little bit different from AOBRDs that uh, you're referring to? Right. Well, the main one is the, the yard move. Uh, when they start talking about, you know, any movement of the truck is going to start the driver's 14-hour clock. And so that's that's a little bit different in the yard move. And then maintenance personnel as well if you're if you're moving the truck if maintenance personnel are moving the truck you're going to have to have a way that they can uh, code into the system because you don't want to start the driver hours there and then the, the entire you know personal conveyance you know that's a big one that's being talked about and so that's a little bit different as well all right welcome back um, and joe i want to see if you had anything to add on the 
the main operational differences uh, between an AOBRD and an ELD, we hear about things like uh, you know, accounting for yard moves, uh, you know, drivers being uh, required to approve edits to their logs. Um, what are some of the, uh, maybe can you go into a little bit of detail on, on how the ELD environment is a little bit different from the AOBRD environment? Sure, and I think you heard a little bit of that in the video, and I think the point that I got out of watching that is you really need to know your operation and figure out exactly how this is going to fit in with, with all of what you do. I think the biggest change is what you mentioned, is that now the ELD is recording all of the miles that, that, that happens on that vehicle. Um, and so what that means is, as a company, it didn't change any of the rules before. It didn't change how you account for that, that yard move time in terms of their hours or how you account for any of these other issues that have come up. It just means that because there is this electronic accounting now and the rule requires the company to uh, be able to explain all of those miles, that supporting company policy is really going to be the key to that whole thing. So, you know, if you have these yard move issues, how are you handling this? You know, and how are you um, managing the process in your office of having those hours assigned? And you mentioned the issue of driver edits and annotations. I think I can't stress that issue enough in terms of its importance to the carrier's operations because of these movements that maybe weren't accounted for on paper because you didn't have to put them down and they are all there now. Um, having that loop within your company of supervisor looking at the uh, looking at those hours or even if you're just a small company and managing it and the driver and having that circle through to the driver uh, to account for those hours I think is really one of the key differences here in the ELD environment and as much as a technology in an ELD issue it's an issue of have you thought about this in your company and exactly how this is going to work and how you're going to manage that process? Okay. You know, another topic we sometimes hear come up with uh, the move to ELDs is personal conveyance. Uh, you know, drivers using the trucks to, you know, say, go home uh, just to move themselves, not freight for, for the company. And I know FMCSA is working on guidance for that, right, to, to help spell that out uh, more clearly. Sure. We actually have guidance that's out there already that I think folks should take a look at. Um, and we're just, you know, one of the things we've seen with, e with the ELD rule is that a lot of questions that are not ELD questions are raised by the fact that right. mm -hmm. this accounting of miles is there all of the time. Um, so things like personal conveyance where you just didn't really have to address it in the paper environment, now those miles are getting recorded and you have to be able to, to manage it. And again, with personal conveyance, I think it comes down to the same things. Um, in that what's your company policy about personal conveyance? Personal conveyance is not a requirement. It's not a requirement that a company allow a driver to use a, a, their vehicle for personal conveyance, but they should have a process and a procedure for how they manage those, uh, those moves, if they, you know, when they allow it and how they manage it. Okay. And next I'd like to address uh, you know, maybe the broader industry implications of the ELD mandate. So um, at the end of the day, you know, I've been saying that, you know, the mandate really could be a business opportunity for um, ELD compliant fleets, uh, but it's also uh, obviously a, a likely roadblock for those uh, you know, who stall or, or do not comply. Um, at the same time, we hear many in the industry projecting 
uh, reduction in freight hauling capacity. Kind of the baseline projection we hear from some observers is uh, perhaps in the three to five percent range uh, as a result of the regulation. And uh, Joe, I wanted to get your uh, you know, thoughts on that. I mean, do you have any, any thoughts on you know, this expectation that fr freight capacity in general across the industry could tighten as a result of ELDs and, and tighter enforcement of hours of service? Yeah, there's not a whole lot I can say about that other than to really point out a couple of things. And, and you touched on this already, and, um, and that is that the ELD rule didn't change the hours of service yeah. rules in any way. So the available hours that were there before are there now. Um, I do think that uh, some fleets will find that once they have implemented the technology, they will see uh, some efficiency gains. So I think it just a little bit remains to be seen on exactly how this happens as we go through rollout. Okay. And then uh, we're also hearing anecdotally that some shippers are uh, looking at this closely and you know, they're connecting with their carriers to make sure that they have a plan for ELDs. Um, will, will you be compliant? and? Uh, are looking to secure agreements with uh, compliant carriers uh, you know, ahead of the deadline to make sure that their freight's moving uh, legally in, in a compliant way. So uh, perhaps shippers could end up playing a, a, a role in uh, moving this mandate through in a way and, and making it, uh, uh, moving the industry toward uh, compliance with it. And you know, on the other side, there's also insurance providers, uh, equipment uh, finance uh, uh, providers, um, yeah, I, I suspect that they'll want to work with carriers who they know are ELD compliant and uh, might not be you know, subject to this kind of enforcement. Um, so, Joe, do you, do you see shippers and, you know, say, insurance providers also kind of playing a role in this ecosystem in the, in the move toward Yeah, I, I sure do, and I think they, they do today, and I think they will continue to do that. Uh, we point this out all the time, that any government regulation is really the minimum standard. And if our goal, our goal at FMCSA is to, you know, improve the safety of the transportation environment, and I think that's everybody's kind of goal while, um, you know, being able to move the freight, you know, that we need to move. And I think it takes everybody. It takes the shipper community and the carrier community as well as the insurance providers and others uh, to maximize the safety that we can get. Okay. And, uh, you know, Russ Elliott of Melton also had some interesting comments about how ELDs will likely change the industry. So let's go ahead and, and hear what he had to say. Yeah, I, I guess you see a, a benefit to, you know, letting some of the kinks be worked out as, as well when, you know, uh, come December 18th. Uh, much of the industry is making this transition, uh, and perhaps you can, uh, you know, learn from their experiences. Yes, absolutely. And, and most of my peers that I have spoken with that are on the AOBRD platform probably are going to exercise the grandfather clause. There are a few that are not, but I, I think everybody's going to take more of the ease in approach into it uh, rather than going hardline. Now, folks that aren't already installed, they're going to go straight up on the ELD. Right. Got it. And, you know, we've been talking about you know ELDs and the ELD mandate for years now. You know, it's been a, a a topic of discussion throughout the industry and we're now finally you know we have a final rule uh, and we're getting close to the implementation date we're now just about four months away from from that December 18th deadline so I want to get your thoughts uh, now that we're almost there you know how do you expect the industry as a whole to change uh, come December well you know Seth there's been like you say a lot of talk and to this point it's all speculation you know, no one really knows. Everyone's tossing around numbers that there's going to be a 
three to five percent loss of capacity. I, I don't know if it's going to be two percent or twenty percent. No one really knows till we get in. I don't think it's going to be as big of an impact, possibly as some have said, but there will be some impact. And from our standpoint, you know, we're ready. Um, we've been getting ready for ten years, if you will. So uh, it's not going to change our lives when when December eighteenth rolls around. Okay. And I was wondering if you're hearing anything, you know, perhaps from some of your shipper customers, uh, you know, who, who um, I hear anecdotally are starting to look at this and uh, want to be proactive and make sure that their carriers are prepared for this and are, are running legally and, and ELD compliant when the, the mandate uh, goes into effect. Uh, are, are you hearing any of your shippers who are you know, asking about that? Uh, do you think that that's on their radar? What's interesting, Seth, is there are a few that have actually reached out to us. We've been pretty proactive with our customer base, letting them know where we stand. We try to get out ahead of things a little bit, not keep anybody guessing. But some of the larger uh, shippers that we have, larger customers have actually reached out and have asked some very direct questions. Uh, and I think they're doing that and they're smart for doing that to make sure that their carriers are gonna be properly lined up because they don't want any big surprises obviously in December uh, if they've been using someone that's not on the platform or can't get there fast enough. So sure. we're starting to, to hear more and more of that going on out there. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, you know, I've uh, made the argument that, you know, and, and depending on who you are and if you're prepared and, and you're already using electronic logs, uh, you know, the mandate in many ways can be a, an opportunity, uh, you know, especially if there is some tightening of capacity, perhaps some additional business goes the way of, uh, you know, some, some fleets that are, um, you know, have been out there a long time, have a good reputation and um, you know, are, are, are fully compliant. Uh, do you see it in, in the same way? Well, I certainly have not looked at it from a negative standpoint. And, you know, and once again, who knows what's going to happen if the economy, you know, the economy this year in 17 has been certainly better than 16, at least in our world, in the flatbed business, it's been far better. And if the projections go into 18, if the economy continues to improve, then there's going to be a created capacity issue, especially over flatbed, most likely anyway. And so trying to guess how much of that's going to be ELD cost and how much of it's just the economy increasing, I'll leave that up for the, the uh, economists to figure out. But we're looking at it very positively, and, and there's nothing that you just said that's not true. You know, I, I do... I do anticipate there may be some guys that drop out, and whether it's the sectors that we, our customers are in, I don't know. We'll okay. just have to wait and, and see how it's going to go. You bet. It's, it's been planned for years, and it, it's, it's kind of interesting that it seems that some people have thought that it was going to go away, and they kept thinking, they kept thinking. You know, I know within the last month there was a, a bill that was introduced uh, into the House representatives that it didn't make it into committee, so it's it's not going anywhere. And there have been several attempts, but I think barring a last minute, something coming from maybe even as high as the White House, it'd have to come almost out of there to stop it. I, I think this it's going, and so everybody needs to be prepared. It's it's coming. Yeah, and you know it's um, you know just kind of looking at the at hours of service compliance in general, uh, perhaps we could quickly touch on that, uh, you know, in the, in the concept that, you know, the ELDs will help, you know, 
level the, the playing field for, for hours of service compliance. Uh, is that something that you, you do believe will, will make a real difference, and uh, is it something you're looking forward to? Absolutely. Uh, we have been, since we made the decision 10 years ago to install the electronic logs, uh, we have been firmly behind it and believe that everybody should be on this platform. And it's the rule, and that's what everybody needs. Everybody needs to play by the same set of rules, and it, it promotes safety as well. All right, welcome back, and uh, thanks again to uh, Russ for taking the time to, to chat with us about uh, electronic logs. And before we go further, I want to hit some of your questions that have been coming in. Uh, I have a question from Avery Weiss, and he's asking about one of the exemptions available uh, through the rule. Uh, his question is, how will roadside enforcement be able to determine whether or not a driver truly qualifies for the exemption available uh, for those drivers who only need to maintain rods um, no more than eight days out of, out of a 30-day period? You know, how is enforcement going to know whether or not that's the case? Sure. I mean, it's a good question, and it's really no – I like to remind people we have some of these same situations today. We have a 100-air-mile radius exemption. Driver's not required to maintain any documentation, pulls into the way station to get an inspection, explains, I'm a 100-air-mile radius driver. A lot of times they'll know them, you know, but that's the only explanation that's required. If they're, in those cases, if there is some – issue that comes up, sometimes those things would get referred over and we would kind of check back with the company, either the state or uh, the federal staff at that point in time. This 8 and 30 rule is really the same thing. Mm -hmm. uh, my recommendation to folks, kind of going back to some of the stuff we talked about with ELD, is the better the driver can articulate that exemption, the better off they'll be. They can say, hey, you know what, this is my, normally I run this 100 air mile radius, but I run this route twice a month or whatever the case happens to be, and they can articulate it to the officer. So, you know, the only time there would be any kind of issue if there was some real kind of question that came up in the officer's mind about that exemption. But a lot of that is on us, and we're working really hard to make sure that in our training with the states, we articulate that um, to them. And and then, of course, that the carrier maintains the records and the documentation of that back at their place of business if anyone were to ask. Okay. And we've also gotten a few questions in. Uh, one of the topics that always comes up when we talk about ELDs is short-term rental trucks. Uh, can you take us through what that environment's going to look like? I mean, these short-term rental trucks, maybe uh, a fleet has a truck that's down in, in the shop and they, they need a truck uh, temporarily, uh, but that truck, that driver still needs an ELD. Uh, how is that going to work um, in practice uh, come December 18th? Sure, yeah, we've gotten a lot of questions about that. And just to take one step back, one of the important things to remember about the ELD rule, we talked earlier about it being about hours of service compliance, is that there's not necessarily interoperability required between devices. So if a driver's an ELD compliant device and is in a rental truck, for that particular trip while they're operating, they need two things. They need to be operating with an ELD, and they need to have their previous seven days of records of duty mm -hmm. status. How they do that is really up to them. Um, in a case like that, uh, when there's any kind of issue with the ELD, uh, they could print out the logs for those previous seven days and have them with them, or they could have an electronic copy of those logs as long as at the time of their inspection they're compliant and they have their, their current day on an ELD if they need to, and they have the previous seven days, then okay. everything will be okay. Yeah, and I'll add to that that your um, 
lease rental providers uh, may be looking at ways to, to help you with that as well. We're starting to hear some of them uh, think about ways they can help their customers comply with the mandate. Uh, so that may be something to uh, ask them about as well moving forward. Um, now kind of going back to uh, one of the potential pitfalls I think uh, with, with the mandate is that too many uh, carriers might wait until the very end to comply, you know, wait until the final weeks or days uh, to figure this all out. Um, and there are a couple elements to that. I mean, there, there's, I've heard at least some concern that uh, the ELD vendors might run low on supplies, the actual devices that will uh, be needed. Uh, and there's also the, the training element for, for drivers and uh, if you're a fleet of any size for the back office and, and learning how to use it. Um, just having the device doesn't necessarily mean you're ready. Uh, Joe, do you think that that's a, a, a real concern? Uh, I'm more concerned about the last part of your question. I think, um, as you mentioned earlier, um, there's somewhere in the range of 80 or 90 different providers now um, on our website, and I'm sure there's probably more to come. Um, I think as the technology has changed it, and we're starting to see a bring-your-own-device solutions that are compliant mm -hmm. with the ELD, I think uh, I'm less concerned about supply and, and capacity there. I am concerned and we spend a lot of time and, and ha are doing a lot of outreach to drivers and carriers now to get them moving because, as we mentioned earlier, the training component and understanding your device, really it only benefits the carrier to have that really squared away before uh, December 18th and they have to go out and, and go through an inspection with that device. So all we can do is uh, just keep trying to work and put as much material out there for folks as we possibly can. Okay, and you know, another point I'd like to make is that you know, ELDs don't have to be viewed as a, as a burden. You know, there's an, also an opportunity here to improve the efficiency of your operations. You know, e even if you're not going with all the bells and whistles, I mean, there's just eliminating the manual paperwork associated with keeping a, a paper driver log is, is uh, something you can take you know, out, of the, out of the driver's uh, uh, workload. And, uh, of course, there are many of these systems that, uh, that go far beyond that and offer uh, applications that can streamline tasks like driver vehicle inspection reports, uh, IFTA mileage for fuel taxes, uh, tracking miles per gallon, uh, driver performance, uh, engine metrics, uh, onboard navigation, on and on. So I, I recently spoke with uh, Tom Paduk at uh, TransService at the TMW PeopleNet Insight Conference earlier this month in Nashville, and uh, he talked about uh, some of the things that they're doing at TransService. So let's go ahead and play that clip and, and hear what he had to say. Hello, I'm Seth Clevenger, Managing Editor of Features at Transport Topics here at the TMW PeopleNet Insight User Conference in Nashville. Joined with uh, me here today is uh, Tom Paduk. He's the Director of Logistics Design at Transervice, a correct. provider of uh, full-service lease, uh, dedicated carriage, and logistics. Mm -hmm. And uh, Tom, if you could go ahead and uh, take us through uh, your experiences with electronic logs at Transervice. Uh, when did you guys implement and, and what's your experience been like thus far? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, Transervice, uh, we've had the benefit of a lot of our customers demanding a lot of current modern technology from us. So they've been, uh, maybe some people say they've been pu pushing us along or pulling us along, right. but, but they've been forcing us uh, to use uh, you know, different technologies over time. So we've been 
using, uh, we call them onboard computers, some people call them ELDs and everything in between, uh, but we've been using them for about seven to nine years okay. uh, for different purposes. Sure, and there are lots of different types of electronic system, log logging systems on the market, you know, anything ranging from, you know, full-featured uh, fleet management system, really, that, you know, has uh, many different applications in addition to electronic logs. Uh, there's also uh, a lot of new vendors on the market ahead, you know, that have appeared ahead of the mandate with more basic uh, systems, maybe just focused on ELD compliance only or ELD compliance with maybe one or two added features. Uh, so lots of different approaches that uh, uh, fleets could, could take with this you know, if they're look, when they're looking to adopt a, a system ahead of the, the, the deadline. Uh, but maybe you can give me an example of uh, some of the ways that TransService is using its onboard technology beyond electronic logs. What are some of the other features you guys are, are taking advantage sure. of? Sure, absolutely. Like you said, it's, it's a very uh, wide space. There's a lot of options and different opportunities out there. Um, but we're really uh, embracing it as a, a do-all device for our driver. So mm -hmm. our goal, like everyone else, is eventually to get paperless and, and like I said earlier, be modern. Um, so trying to eliminate uh, the paperwork flow, the burden on the driver, not only for, of course, the, the driver logging and the ELD, but to reduce uh, and, and allow them to focus more on what they do best. I mean, right. they, their job is to drive, drive safely, and uh, represent our company and, and the public in general as, as well as they possibly can. So there's a lot of different apps, you know, certainly the ELD, uh, mapping, routing, but full workflow capability that we have where we can communicate with the driver their expectations for that work day. So, so we're, we're expanding on those types of apps. Okay, and also some vehicle maintenance uh, um, elements as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, now there's EDVIRs, uh, mm -hmm. it's is a big hot topic now, so everyone's starting to take that uh, in, in a mobile and you're allowed to also do document scanning and we can look at data in different ways and even OSD. Uh, and different opportunities of capturing that data and sure. transmitting it back in near real time. Okay. You know, another element of uh, the ELD mandate, of course, is uh, the, the grandfather clause for existing devices that are known as AOVRDs. You know, it's getting a little bit into the weeds, but you know, generally we're, we're talking about the electronic logging systems that have been on the market for a while now. Um, you know, and the, the early adopters, you know, TransService, for example, you know, you have a choice, you can move to ELD soon, or, or you can wait up to two years uh, beyond the December 18th implementation deadline uh, to make the move to the full ELD specifications. Uh, can you take us through how you are, are viewing that transition from AOVRD to ELD? Sure, absolutely. Um, we, we rely heavily, like everybody does, on our providers. So uh, even though the current ELD certification is a self-certification type process, uh, we're relying in heavily on our vendors to do that and meet the guidelines as recommended. We certainly have the grandfather clause to lean back on, um, but as with most uh, carriers and certainly the early adopter group, uh, our customers rely on us to provide them with the most up-to-date, accurate information. So the closer we get to the date, the more risk you have. Um, right. There's going to be enough confusion already with the mandate, depending on who you ask. Um, and we certainly don't want to have uh, one of our drivers pulling into a, a station or having an inspection and having any question about the type of device or the certification that we have. We want it to be clean, simple, and concise, both for the inspector and for our driver, so they can both get on their way as soon as possible. Okay, so you guys are definitely looking to move to the ELD specification sooner rather than later. Absolutely, as soon as possible. Yes. Okay, sounds good. And the uh, last question I'll leave you on, uh, you know, as, as much of the industry still has to make this transition, you know, what would be your advice to the you know, first-time adopters out there who are looking at the, you know, you know, moving to e-logs? What should they keep in mind? Uh, what are your tips? 
Sure, and there's at least two big ones that always seem to come up, and certainly the first is don't be afraid of the technology. Um, drivers are usually fairly resistant to it just because they haven't used it, it's something new and fresh. Um, if they're used to using a smartphone, as we all are, or if they have a, an existing navigation system on, on their dashboard, maybe it's something they purchased themselves, they already know 60 to 80% perhaps of the system. They already know how to fill out their driver logs. Right. Now you're just combining those technologies. So it's not a big, scary, big brother, everyone's trying to bear down on you type of thing. And then the second part is really, it, if you're just looking for an ELD, then and that's okay, as long as you're meeting the mandate. But really, um, do your homework and research the providers that are out there and, and make sure that you get feature-rich um, services that are gonna be more meaningful to your business and, and the types of data that you're gonna get back with it and what you can do with it to enhance your operations and efficiency. Okay, great. Well, thanks for your input, uh, Tom. It's great to hear you know, the, you know, your thoughts and you know, I'm sure the, the many folks out there still need to go through this, uh, you value the, the thoughts of those who have already been, been through it. Yep, so, absolutely. Thanks My again. pleasure. Thank all right, welcome back. Um, you know, moving on, I wanted to uh, hit another uh, question that came in from uh, one of our viewers. Uh, Dane Doctor at Hub International asks, uh, any projection on how the ELD mandate will impact freight rates? Um, I'll go ahead and take this one. This is probably more in, in my area. Um, you know, I would say that, you know, if, there's a, if there does indeed, uh, if, there, if there is indeed a, a reduction in, in truck capacity, I think basic supply and demand, uh, you know, would suggest that rates will increase um, if you're a compliant carrier, especially if the economy picks up. I mean, uh, to what extent that happens, of course, is uh, it, it seems to be a million-dollar question right now. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I think it's pretty much the the, the typical effect of freight capacity, uh, depending on if we see a, a three to five percent uh, contraction uh, or not. Um, we've also gotten uh, several questions about uh, exemptions to the rule, so I think it would be helpful to maybe quickly review the ex exemptions that are out there. Uh, we've mentioned some of them, of course, the, the short haul uh, exemption for uh, um, uh, paper log books is the same with uh, electronic logs. Uh, there's also uh, trucks that were built before the year 2000 uh, as an exemption. And uh, we, we also mentioned the, the eight days in, in any 30-day day period. If your driver uh, is required to keep logs for uh, fewer than eight days, or, or, or no more than eight days, I should say, in, in any 30-day period, uh, you're exempt. And there's also drive-away, tow-away operations where the, the vehicle is part of what's being uh, delivered. Um, I, did I miss anything off that list? No, you no? did. I just maybe one little clarification. I yeah. think um, just to start, like you said, with uh, if you're currently exempt from from having to fill out a logbook like the short haul 100 mm -hmm. mile radius or any of the other agriculture or other exemptions you would be um, exempt and on the year 2000 we recently published a, a clarifying question and answer on our website to clarify that the two, the 2000 model year refers to the engine model year okay so for those carriers that are perhaps you know using glider kits or right. or swapping engines out that it really goes it was about the cost and the impact of of applying the ELD rule to engines older than 2000 right so we have a clarifying question and answer folks can look at that can maybe help them out because that has caused a little bit of confusion right good to put a finer point on that uh, especially because the model truck model years are about a year off correct uh, so uh, if, you, if you have a truck that's right in that range uh, you know, that's how you can uh, make that determination um, 
And uh, you know, going back to our conversation with Tom, I think he has some good advice to, to those who are going to be going through this and implementing e-logs for the first time. And uh, before we wrap up, Joe, I'd like to give you an opportunity to share any final tips you may have for the carriers out there who are looking at this, you know, uh, trying to figure it out and uh, planning how they're going to get compliant over the next four months. Sure. And again, I, I appreciate you giving me this opportunity to, to chat with you. I think the point I want to make here is just to kind of reemphasize a couple of things that have come up throughout the conversation and in, so, in the questions that have come up. And that is, for those new, that are new users or, or converting from uh, the older AOBRD spec to the new ones, do your homework. Talk to your vendor and not just about their device and how it works, which as I mentioned earlier is, is really important, but also about your operation so that you can make sure that that device can work for what you need to do if there's any other requirements that you have. So doing your homework, uh, I think we've emphasized it probably three or four times, but it, I think it bears one more mention, which is preparation of your company, your company policy, and your training programs. I don't think we can um, underscore that any more than we have. It is probably the, the real key is planning and training and working those things together. And lastly, uh, I think I just would like to take the opportunity to mention that there's a lot of information out there. Um, we have a lot of information and Whenever we get questions and we start getting questions more than once, we post those questions and answers up on our website. I mentioned looking there for maybe the checklist mm -hmm. uh, for the questions that the carriers may want to ask during that process. So uh, we're here to help, and anything we can do uh, to provide more information, we're happy to do. Okay, great. Um, and one, I will squeeze one last question in here. Uh, we got one in from, from David, uh, he, and he's asking, can paper logs be used in the case of an ELD not working out on the road? I, I would take it in, in the event of a malfunction. Maybe you can quickly, uh, for, for the benefit of those watching, take us through that process. Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. And one of the, oddly enough, one of the requirements of the ELD rule is make sure you have some paper logs. Right. Um, yes, and you're in, I always get this question, how many? I was like, just keep a book in there. Uh, the rule does allow uh, for this to understanding that this may happen. Um, so you have eight days uh, where keeping in mind the eight-day period that we normally track for hours of service. So if the device malfunctions, sure, you go to paper logs for that period of time um, and, and you just kind of work it from there. But back to your earlier question, I think it's another good opportunity to emphasize the fact that uh, talking to your vendor about what their plans are for replacement or repair is also an important piece. Yep. But yes, absolutely, keep some logs on your vehicle, and if things go down, make some notes and start tracking it and um, mm -hmm. work it from there. So have a plan in place, uh, eight days, and, and you'll, you, ha you have eight days to, to get an ELD back up and running uh, if you have a, a malfunction. Uh, well, this has been a, a great discussion, but I'm looking at the clock and we've run out of time, so that's going to do it for today's show. I'd like to thank FMCSA's Joe DeLorenzo for joining us in studio today, as well as Russ Elliott for participating in the Skype interview, and Tom Paduk for taking some time to chat in Nashville. We'd also like to extend special thanks to PeopleNet and Protective Insurance for sponsoring today's program. If you missed part of the show or would just like to watch it again, a replay will be posted later today on our website, ttnews.com, and on liveonweb.ttnews.com. And if you want to learn more about the industry impact of ELDs, I'd encourage you to read our latest iTech supplement, which was included in the August 21st issue of Transport Topics. Uh, or you can find those articles in the technology section of ttnews.com. 
Our next Live on Web program is scheduled for November 15th when we will discuss trucking efficiency from emission regulations to electric trucks and beyond. Until then, thank you for joining us.